So the last Mishnah, we discussed a case where it was not known if a child is the son of his mother's first husband or of her second husband. Our Mishnah continues with this case and explains what the laws of the child are if one of the possible fathers is a Kohen. So let's say one of the, father, one of the husbands of the woman who did not wait three months before marrying was a Yisrael and the other one was a Kohen. So it's not known if this child in turn is Yisrael or Kohen. He must be treated as a possible Yisrael and a possible Kohen. Therefore, the following laws apply to him. Okay, so these, the following laws are identical with the laws that we listed in the fifth Mishnah where the child of a Kohen's wife and the child of a slave woman became mixed up in birth and the children later freed each other so that each one is possibly a Kohen and possibly a Yisrael. Okay, so um, yeah, it's good to go over these things. Not say Shah Ruyel a Kohen. The son may marry only a woman who's fit for a Kohen because he might be a Kohen. And he may not become Tamer through contacts with the dead for the same reason. However, if he did become Tamer, he does not receive the punishment of 40 lashes because he's possibly not a Kohen. Now, regards to Truma, he cannot Truma because he might not be a Kohen. But if he did mistakenly eat Truma, he does not have to pay the principal the value of the eaten Truma plus the additional fifth because it's possible he's a Kohen. He does not receive a portion of Truma at the threshing floor where Truma is given up because he's forbidden to eat Truma. But he may sell to a Kohen the Truma that he separates from his own produce and the money from the sale is his to keep. Even though he may not eat Truma, he may benefit from it by selling because he is a Kohen. Now, sacrificial offerings. He does not receive a portion of the sacrifices of the temple, even those that are not eaten, such as the hides of the offerings, because he might not be a Kohen. And we do not give him sacrifices to offer in the temple for the same reason. But we do not remove his own sacrifices from his own possession. He is exempt from the obligation to give the foreleg, the jaws, and the stomach of kosher animals that he slaughters as a gift to a Kohen, because he might himself be a Kohen. And his Bechot animal does not have to be given to a Kohen, rather, they should be left to grace until it develops a disqualifying blemish and then he may slaughter and eat it so to sum up we place upon him both the stringencies of a Kohenim and the stringency of Israelim. Now, we continue with the same case of how the child's laws are affected if both of the possible fathers are Kohanim. Now, Hayushneim Kohanim, if both husbands are Kohanim, the child is definitely Kohen. However, because we do not know whose father is, the following laws apply to them. Who Onen Alehem? If either husband dies, the son observes the Onen laws for them, and he may not perform the temple service or eat from the meat of an offering on the day of their deaths, since each one, either one might be have, might have been his father. So an Onen is a person who has, seven, who has just lost one of his seven close relatives, father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, wife. A Kohen is an Onen, is biblically forbidden to eat the meat of an offering or to perform the sacrificial service on the day of his relative's death. So in our case, should either husband die, the son, who is a Kohen, must act stringently and keep the laws of an Onen in case the person who died was his father. Okay, back in Mishnah, the hen Onenim Alav, and similarly if the son dies, they, the husbands, but um, observe the Onen laws for him, and both of them may not perform the temple service or eat from an offering on the day of his death, since he might have been their son, who enomi Tamelahem, the son may not make himself Tameh through contact with the husbands if either of them died, because a Kohen may not become Tameh through any dead person who is not a close relative, and he does not know if the dead person is really his father. And similarly, they may not make themselves Tameh through contact with him if he died because each husband does not know if the dead person is really his son. The son does not inherit either husband if one of them dies because the other sons of each husband can claim that he's not their brother and thus not an heir. Okay. Um, but the husbands do inherit the son if he dies without children and they split the inheritance between themselves. Okay, Because as a person dies without children, then his father is next in line to inherit him. So in our case, Therefore, the son, should the son die childless, the two possible fathers inherit his property and they divide it between themselves. He is exempt from the death penalty for hitting or cursing either one.
first husband or that one, okay, the second husband, since it's unknown which one is really his father, and a person cannot be punished by the courts when it is not certain that he is guilty. Okay, so if um, someone hits and inflicts a wound upon his parents or curses his parents using one of the names of Hashem, he receives the death penalty. The son, however, does not receive the death penalty if he hits or curses the husband, since he's uncertain which one is truly his parents. Okay, for Oleh, the Mishmarot, Shazer, Shazer, the son goes up to the Beth Dash to perform the sacrificial service with the Mishma, the family group of Karnim of both his this husband and that husband when it is their turn to serve, and the other Karnim of that Mishma may not prevent him from performing the service. Okay, so the Karnim will divide into 24 groups, each of which served in the temple for one week at a time on a rotating basis. Each group was known as a Mishma. In the Mishnah's case, each husband belongs to a different Mishma, so it is unknown to which Mishma the son belongs. Then a Cholek, but he does not receive, when he does go to do Mishma, he does not receive a portion of the meats or highs of the offerings that are divided among the members of either Mishma. So even though the son does not know which Mishma he belongs to in the, in the Beth he he belongs to, he can serve with the Mishmara of both the first husband and the second husband, and the Mishmara has a right to prevent him from performing the mitzvah of the Avodah. But when it comes to monetary benefits, he's not treated as a member of either Mishmah, since they can argue to prove that you're a member of our Mishmah, then you can receive a portion with us. If, however, both husbands belong to the same Mishmah, he does take one portion with the other members of that Mishmah when it is their turn to serve in the Bethlehem since no matter whose father is, he definitely belongs to that Mishmah. Okay, so each Mishmah was further divided into seven family groups called Bateavot, Betzav, with each Betzav serving on one day of the week. The members of the current Betzav were given the meats and highs of the offerings that were brought that day. The Mishnah thus means that if both husbands belong to the same Mishmah and together and to the same family group within the Mishmah, the son receives a portion. But if the husband belongs to different Bate Avats, the son can be received a, refused a portion based on the argument cited in Notes 8. Okay, Perak, you'd bet. Okay, the cha- this chapter discusses the laws and procedure of Khalitsa. The Khalitsa ceremony has three parts to it. The Yavamar removes the shoe from the Yavam's foot, she spits in front of him, and he and she say certain verses from the Yibun passage in the Torah. The order in which these steps are done will be described in later Mishnah. So the Mishnah begins its discussion of Chalitza by teaching about a type, the type of course in which Chalitza must be performed. The Mitzvah of Chalitza is performed in front of three judges. Even if all three of them are laymen, that is, they are not official judges and are not even expert in most of the laws of Chalitza, the only thing they must know is how to read Hebrew so that they can dictate to the Yavam and the Yavamah the verses they must say during the ceremony. Okay, furthermore, all the judges need to do is observe the ceremony and dictate the verses. Um, thus, they do not need to know any of the laws, just how to dictate the verses. So, what type of shoe? Chalitzah b'minal. If the Yavamah performed Chalitzah with a shoe made of soft leather, Chalitzah ta'al kashira. Her Chalitzah is valid because such a shoe protects the foot. However, this type of shoe should not be used in the first place because of rabbinic decree. The rabbis were concerned that the use of a soft shoe for chalitza might result in it being used even when it is torn. A torn shoe is not valid for chalitza because it's not considered a shoe. However, people will sometimes wear a torn shoe of this kind since the leather is soft um, and the shoe straps hold the torn pieces in place. To prevent people from making mistakenly using such a torn shoe for chalitza, the rabbis decreed that a sandal, a sandal uh, mentioned later in the Mishnah should be used since it is made from hardened leather and can therefore not be worn once it breaks. Thus, there are no concern that some we use a broken sandal for chalitza. Okay, so you can still use it there, but and peel in. But if she performed it with a cloth shoe, chalitza tapasula, her chalitza is invalid because the Torah does not consider it a shoe when it does not protect the foot. The sandal akev. If she performed chalitza with a sandal, a sandal, a shoe made of hardened leather that has a heel. 
Okay, so now, first of all, the sandal of the Mishnah is not what we call a sandal, a sandal, like our modern-day sandals, but a type of shoe that was closed on top and made of hard leather. Okay, so let's say you had a... Um, she, it was done with a sandal that has a heel, a back part of the shoe that straps around the back of the foot. Kasher, if but if it does not have a heel, pasul. So if it is, it does have a heel, it's valid. If it does not have a heel, it is, it is invalid because such a shoe slips off the wearer's foot and is there valid for Khalisa. Now, part of the Khalisa ceremony, the Yavama unties all the straps with her shoe, with which the shoe is attached to the Yavam's foot. The Mishnah discusses whether the Khalisa is valid if this is done when the shoe straps are wrapped around the Yavam's leg above his foot. If the shoe used for Khalisa is tied to the Yavam's leg below the knee, Khalisata Kishira, the Khalisa is valid. If it's tied above the Yavam's knee, uh, above the Yavam's knee, Khalisata Khalisa is invalid because when the shoe is being removed from the Yavam's leg, it must be removed from the area just above the foot. Have a great day.